Good morning, church. Man, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. It is good to be gathered. I uh, tell you what, it, y'all are a much friendlier group than the freshmen I've been staring at this week. I'm going to say that. I appreciate it. It's uh, I have transitioned from teaching fifth and sixth graders to high school students. It's been a, been a little bit of a bumpy ride, so uh, I appreciate the, uh, the encouragement y'all bring this morning. We are in 1 Peter today. We are starting this sermon series in 1 and 2 Peter. Uh, Chris and I were, as we kind of map out and plan out how our sermon series go, we were really wanting to get back into the New Testament after Ezra and Nehemiah. We loved our time spent there, but we were, I don't know, just kind of antsy uh, to get back into the New Testament. And so we're excited about this. This will take us all the way up into Advent. Uh, if we've planned it out accordingly, um, <laughs> And no bumps or, or, or dips in the way. We should get us to Advent. We'll have a wonderful Advent series come around Thanksgiving and Christmas time. And then we'll be uh, heading possibly back into the Old Testament. Where we haven't, we're still praying about where we're going to go after that. But we like to go old, new, old, new as we do this. But today we are in 1 Peter. And we're going to be looking at verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it up. If not, that's okay. You'll see it up on the screen behind me. Let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the day you've given to us. Thank you for this time we've had to be gathered to to hear your word, to let it sink in. Father, for, for us to be convicted by your word and challenged by you so that we may grow closer to you. Father, I pray that as, as I'm here in this pulpit, you would just put me aside. Uh, that it not be anything of me, but it be all of you. And I want your word proclaimed and much made of you. Father, I ask that as we enter into this time of corporate worship through, through the hearing and responding of your word, you would just continue to challenge us, speak to us through your word. 
draw us close, draw us near. Make us obedient, make us holy as you are holy. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Peter has, has been writing to us and he's talking to us about all these wonderful inheritance, this living hope we had in Jesus Christ in the, in the first chunk of this, this chapter. Now he's starting to talk about who we are in Christ. What is our believer's our identity as believers. And, and identity has become a big deal. It's become this, this huge thing. Knowing who you are matters. And, and we live in this world where Satan is actively working to confound and, and confuse people about identity. And it's all the more important for us as, as believers in Christ to live the truth about identity. And it's all the more important for us as believers in Christ to tell the truth about identity. So that God identifies us in, in two ways. You either belong to Him or you do not. That's it. A child of the King or you're not a child of the King. And, and, and the thing that we have to understand is, is that being identified by God as one who belongs to God is all that really matters. That's the identity we should strive. That's the identity we want. That's the desirable one. That identity is the one that literally holds the keys to the kingdom. Being identified as a child of God lets you into the kingdom of God. And as we read this passage of, of Peter's letter to the church, he reflects on that inheritance we've gained in Christ, letting us know that we are, those who follow Jesus, those who believe in Him, we are children of the king and that should motivate us to live like children of the king to live that way to to live a life of full obedience to god the god that has redeemed us and he redeemed us at the cost of his own son jesus christ and then when he starts out he starts out in verse 13 he starts out with therefore right therefore always tells us go back reread check it out Right? Verses 1 through 12, Peter told us of all the riches and the glorious inheritance that is ours if we belong to Christ. Verses 13 through 25 then kind of serve as, a, as an action plan on how to live as though we are God's. He starts us out with, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Now, now sometimes you might see this translated as, gird your minds, Right? The literal Greek in this is, is kind of a weird phrase. Gird up the loins of your minds. Now that's, that's, a, that's a weird way of saying that. Gird up the loins of your minds. Okay. What Peter's doing here is he's given us this image of an ancient warrior. Right? And how those ancient Near Eastern warriors, they'd wear those robes that were long. And they would take those robes, they would take that tunic, and they would tuck it. And they'd wrap, and they'd tie it around their legs. They'd bring it up so that they could prepare to run, they could prepare to fight, right? Or it was kind of even the same with the farmer who's got to do some heavy lifting. We'd take those robes, and he'd wrap, and he'd tuck, and he'd tie it around, right? So they could do that work. See, see what he's talking about here is, is he's talking about getting ready to do some difficult work. As, as we gird up our minds... As we prepare our minds for action, this is going to be some, some work that's going to come to us. We're going to have to do some things here. And it's something that we should take 
seriously, being sober-minded. This is not a frivolous undertaking. Right? There, there is much, much joy to be had in the things of God. But the work of God is sober. It is serious. Seeing those who are lost living the lies of the world, right? Seeing that, how, the, how they're accepting the lies that they're being fed, that should be sobering to us. Sobering in our spirits, sobering in our hearts. Knowing those who are not Christ's have no inheritance in him. That should cause us to grieve. See, we are to set our hope fully on the grace of Jesus Christ. The fullness of that grace will be seen and will be known, and its work will be made complete when Jesus returns. And believer, we should long for that day. Long for Jesus' return. We should desire to see our Lord face to face. But knowing that there are those who don't long for that, who have no hope in that, should be sobering to us. And that's what Peter's he's reiterating to us here, to, to live like God has called us to live. Right? And it's going to require some hard work on our side. Now here's the neat thing about this. God's already knew about this. We already read that he foreknew everything. He said that, right? Back in, in, in the first chunk we looked at this, verse 2, that he foreknew what was going on. So, so to live like God has called us to live is going to require some hard work on our side. That's great, but thankfully, thankfully the God who has called us to himself, the God who has saved us for his glory, has also given us the Holy Spirit who enables us to do the work. That work begins when followers of Christ start thinking rightly about the harsh realities of the world. That's that sober-mindedness. Right? The Christ-like response to the harsh realities of this world is to be sober-minded and to live sensibly in a present and evil age. Peter once again reminds us here that we're sojourners. Right? We're in an exile. I'm a, I'm a resident, but not really a citizen. I, I long for a home in which I have citizenship, the kingdom of God. Heaven is where my citizenship really lies. I'm just passing through here. But as I'm passing through, I've got stuff to do, right? We're, we may not be permanent residents, and our citizenry should be in this kingdom of God. We're passing through, but as we pass through, we've got to see and deal with all the trappings of the world. We have to fight the desire to sin as the world around us embraces sin. Right? The world around us calls us to join in with them in sin. We are to be obedient children of the holy king of kings, set apart from the sinfulness of the world. We are called to be holy because he is holy. And Peter's going back deep with this when he says that. He's going back to Leviticus. Specifically here, he's talking about a little bit Leviticus 11.44. Right? But, but God calls his people to be holy as he is holy in Leviticus 19.2, in Leviticus 27, in Leviticus 20.26. 20, 
And in those four verses, God calls the people to be holy because he is holy five different times. This is important. Right? This is, this is a call for those of us who are called of Christ and have been made new in him to have a moral separation from evil and, right, not just a moral separation of, from evil, and a dedication to righteousness. Right? To seek out righteousness, personal holiness. I can be adverse to all sorts of evil and do nothing about it. I can be adverse to all sorts of evil in the world and do nothing about my own personal righteousness. No, Scripture says here, both. Pursue that dedication to righteousness. Be holy as God is holy is to allow the holiness of God to in you and to pervade you and to pervade every aspect of who you are. Every dark corner of your personality gets the light that comes from Christ. It changes you. It'll grow you. It'll make you more and more Christ-like as you allow that to happen. This is that sanctification process as you're growing in Christ. And it's important for us to, to understand this, that this is not just avoiding outward sin. This becomes intrinsic. It's internal. It becomes this instinctive desire to, to want the things of God. It becomes the undercurrent of your heart. It becomes the undercurrent of your mind. And it's throughout all everything you do. Throughout all of it. We reflect the character of a holy God who has called us to himself. Now, it's an imperfect, imperfect reflection. But we're trying to polish the mirror as best we can. Through the Holy Spirit, indwelling in us, living in us, giving us that ability. And as Peter continues on, he, he refers to God as father and judge here. I think it's kind of interesting that he does that. Right? Peter probably has in mind that, that God is the father of his people. Right? We know that. He heard Jesus refer to God as my Father. But he also recognizes God as judge. This relationship is, is, is a here and now relationship, right? As well as a, a final days kind of relationship. It's not that, that while we're here on earth, God is just our Father, and then the day of judgment, he's our judge, and then he goes back to being our dad. That's not how that works. He's our God, God our Father now, and God our Judge right now as well. He'll be God our Father on Judgment Day, as well as God our Judge on Judgment Day. And He will be God our Father in Heaven and God our Judge in Heaven as well. Like, it's all there. This is who He is. It's in His character. It's in His nature. Okay. We know that God will judge believers for their deeds in the final judgment. That's, that's a given. But he's also the father who guides his children to salvation. And he guides his children to holiness. Right? I'm thinking about all the teachings of Jesus that Peter must be remembering as, as this is coming to his mind. 
Right? He remembers those sermons and those parables where, where Jesus describes God as a, as a loving father. He's probably remembering in, in the, the sermon in Luke when, when they're sitting there and he hears the parable of the, of the prodigal son and the father who, who goes out and waits and is longing and loving to see the son return. But he also remembers those illustrations of the end times when people came to God listing all of their good works. And he said, depart from me. I do not know you. But I did these things in your name. But I, I, I don't know you. See, God is the father of his people. But he is also the final judge. And this should stir up in us a fear and a reverence of God. Now, this is not a, a paralyzing kind of fear. This is not something I, I can't act to do anything because I'm afraid of what God will think of me. No. No, 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 no. He is approachable. But he has the discipline that a, that a father would have. He has the fatherly displeasure that an upset dad would have. We should fear that discipline. We should fear that displeasure. Absolutely love. Love the way C.S. Lewis describes the fear of God here. He talks about this in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe because he's using Aslan as a representative of, of Christ and, and the fear of God. And, and Susan asks Mrs. Beaver if Aslan is safe. And I love how this, Mrs. Beaver responds with, safe? Who said anything about him being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. That kind of reverence and awe should characterize all believers' lives. Our God is not safe, but he's good. And he's the king, I tell you. And, and, and we should just let that in our lives, that, that as sojourners here, we know that our God, our king, he isn't safe, he is good. He is good in a way that we will never fully understand this side of seeing him face to face. He is good to us in ways that are, that are indescribable and uncomprehendable sometimes. But he is good. And, and we hold this reverence and we hold this awe, this fear of God, because we have been ransomed by him. Believer, man, you were purchased by God through Christ's precious blood. Get that. You were bought by God through Christ's precious blood. His own son's blood. This, is, this goes back to that, that imagery of, of, of Israel being rescued from Egypt. And they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. Jesus is our Passover. But you and I have been rescued from something greater than Egypt. We have been rescued from, I love this, how he says it, the futile ways inherited from our forefathers. You hear that? Peter's using that inheritance concept again. He had it in the first chunk of this chapter. He's got it again here. What we have inherited from our forefathers was a way of futility that has kept us from God. We inherited the sin from Adam. That's what we inherited. Right? And it's futile. 
It's an inheritance that identifies us as belonging to this present world with no hope for eternity. But when we are called of Jesus and he saves us, this is what he does. It's so beautiful. He not just saves us and adopts us into into the kingdom. He does something even better. He disinherits us from that generational sin that we inherited from Adam that we could not escape on our own. And he gives us a brand new inheritance into a brand new family because we are made new creatures in him. Man. And all of that work, all of that that beauty, all of that grace, all of that mercy, all of that work is done by what Jesus did on the cross. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish, you have been purchased out of that futility of sin. And you were were brought to be something better. You are brought out of that. Peter describes gold and silver here as as perishable compared to the inheritance of Christ. And it's, it's it's great that he takes the things that we would consider on earth the most imperishable. The most secure things, uh, like I think I said last week, Lee and I have an antenna TV, and what little bit of TV we get to watch uh, during the summer, because we don't really watch much during the school year, what we get to watch in the summer, there's been all of these advertisements lately for in diversifying your portfolio, invest in silver and gold, precious metals, 401ks, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and it's all going to perish. It's all going to burn up. It's all going to go away. But what we have in Jesus, that doesn't. That doesn't go away. Gold and silver are are worthless compared to our inheritance in Christ because they are of this world and they are of this age. Yet the precious blood of of Christ, that sacrifice, that sacrifice he, he willingly made, That's imperishable. Jesus isn't just like a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus is the lamb without blemish or spot. He is the perfect lamb. He's the perfect lamb of God who who takes away the sins of the world. I want you to understand this, that this idea, this concept, this moment is so precious to God. And it is so precious in the sight of God. The blood and the death and everything that it represents as far as sacrifice and salvation, that, that, that we are in grievous error, horrific sin, if we take it too lightly. We can never underestimate the value, right? We can also never overestimate its value. Don't do that. Christ's blood and Christ's blood alone paid the price for your redemption. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone atoned for the sins of the unrighteous. If it were not for that work, there would be nothing for us to inherit. Jesus is the eternal one, the one who who was with God the Father at creation and the one through whom all things were created. He descended down from heaven, lived in human flesh for your sake. He did it for your benefit. He did it for your gain. 
And this is why Christians should live in a, in a holy fear. You are so deeply loved by the God of all creation, the King of all the universe, that he planned from eternity past that he would send Jesus. Jesus was always the plan. Right? It was God's Son who would save the people from their sin. He chose to reveal Jesus at the time that he did so that those who follow Jesus would, would enjoy this inexpressible joy, this inexpressible privilege of living in the time of the fulfillment of all these prophecies. Living in the time of, of fulfillment should give us hope. See, we have a Savior who we can trust. He has planned your redemption from eternity. Our Savior came to earth for our benefit and for our sake. He was raised from the dead and He, and he was glorified. He is the one who can, we can place our trust in. It's Him in which we can place our faith in. It's Him in which we can place our hope in. It is Jesus that reminds us of our own future reward. The God that, that we as Christians fear, think about this, the God that we are, we are called to fear is the same God whom we can trust forever and ever. He is the God who has planned and has only done good for you from all of eternity. Is he safe? <laughs> who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, as followers of Christ, we have been given this new life by the word of God as we, as we read it and we study it and we get into it. In that new life, we are to love one another fervently. We are to long for God's word so, that, so we continue to grow in the faith. We become like living stones that build a spiritual house and Jesus himself has become the cornerstone. The foundation on which we all build. That call to love is grounded in our, in our conversion. Right? Our conversion occurred when, when we were obedient to the truth of Scripture. And our conversion begins our, our purification process. Right? We're deemed clean when we surrender to Christ. But we continue to progress in the Christian life. The Spirit then sets us apart as God's people so that believers are, are made righteous and holy. And we're made righteous and holy in standing before God. And we then continue to grow in, in actual holiness in our lives. Right? As we do this, it's one of the very first signs of a genuine conversion in our life. It's one of the first, first signs of true growth and holiness is, is that we have a love for God's people. Right? I, I love that. I love the fact that, that it's become part of a tradition in this congregation that we, that we pray for missionaries that many of us don't ever know, may never meet. But it's, it's a way that we grow in our own holiness, loving the people of God, even from afar. I love how in that conversion process we see that our personalities are changed. I've heard the stories that some of us were, were at one point in time before Christ grumpy young men, right? And then Jesus changed us. And I, and I knew men like that growing up. So there were some, some dear deacons to me as, as a young child in this congregation growing up that, that I heard their stories and they were grumpy, mean, young men. 
And Jesus got a hold of them, changed their personalities, changed them permanently by the power of the gospel, and made them the most loving extra granddads a kid could have. This is what our God does. This is who he is. This is how we want to identify. We want to be a child of his. Because we've been born again through the living and abiding word of God, which which is the full counsel of Scripture. But it's especially that message of the gospel that that Jesus came to save us, that that as born-again believers, we are now part of this family of God. This exhortation to love one another flows out of that. Christian growth cannot be self-centered. Christian growth cannot be individualistic. Christian growth happens within fellowship with other believers. Fellowship deepens and deepens and deepens as you do that. And the other beautiful thing about that fellowship, oh man, it remains with us into eternity. That fellowship is always there. Peter closes here with a section quoting from Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. We're reminded here that, that God alone, God alone can be absolutely trusted. And it's his word, and it never proves false. His word never fades away. God's word imparts hope to us. It gives life to the weak. Strength, power, wealth, beauty, fame, all of this glory, that's this man glory, right? That's, that's, that's things that we strive for. All of these things fade quickly away. I've been on the front page of a local newspaper. Woo! I've been on the 6 o'clock news. Woo! Right? 15 minutes of fame is all it was. It doesn't matter. Those things fade quickly, and they never, ever return. But those who are in Christ... Those who belong to Jesus Christ have been made new and will live with God forever. Forever. As we see all of this, it takes us back to that beginning now, right? Who are you? What is your identity? See, the word again points us to those two identities. Those who belong to Christ and will live with him forever and those he does not know and will be under condemnation for eternity. As followers of Christ, it's it's our desire to see everyone be identified by God as one of his own. We should want that. We should desire that. We should should be passionate toward that. To see those who have have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ surrender their lives. To see those who've heard that, that it is Jesus right, that does this. Not anything you do, that, 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 that you have sin in your life, but, but you can't overcome that sin, but God can through Jesus Christ. That the work that Jesus did on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, 
That gives you power over that sin. When you believe in him, when you put your faith in him, when you put your trust in him, when you hear that call, and you surrender your life and say, Jesus, I can't do this. You do it for me. He goes, sure enough. And he dusts off those carpenter hands and he does it. Those folks, we want to see that message proclaimed. We want to see those folks surrender their lives as a minister of Jesus Christ to the gospel of him. And it's my desire to see those who claim Christ identify more and more and more with him. I want to see those who, who claim Jesus Christ grow. I want to see my fellow brothers and my sisters in Jesus. I want to see them be holy because our God is holy. I want to see you as a church desire the beauty of being molded into the likeness of a holy God. I want to see you have a reverence and a fear for God who is both our Father and an impartial judge. I want you to stand in awe of our God's goodness and love. I want you to fear His discipline and His displeasure. I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another now and forever. And I want to see the fellowship of believers grow deep. And I want it to spark more personal growth from each of you. If you don't know Jesus, I want to talk to you about knowing Jesus. I want to have gospel conversations with you. If you are a believer in Jesus, I want you to pray during this time. We're getting ready to have our, our call to action, our invitation time. Um, here, if you're in the building, the, the altar is always open. It's, 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 it's free. It's open. If you want, if you needed to pray while I was preaching, I wouldn't have said a word to you about it. It's always open, but I want you to take some time to pray and ask yourself some questions today. If you're a follower of Christ, first one is how can I make the holiness of God? My motivation for pursuing personal holiness. Hmm. What are the perishable things of this world? What are the golds and silvers of this world that most likely to demand my attention and my affections? And then how does focusing on them diminish my ability to pursue personal holiness and love others earnestly with a pure heart? Would you ask yourself these things? Because I want you to be identified by God as one of his own. I want you to grow in that identity. Because that's the only identity you will ever have that matters into eternity. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I just thank you. Thank you for your word. I thank you that you can you can use me to, to proclaim it. Father, I ask that as we, we've heard this and we, we see this about who we belong to, who we identify. I pray that, that we identify with you, that you grab us, you, you tug at us, you, your Holy Spirit convicts us to grow us holier and holier toward you, to make us long for the things that you have. Father, I pray that, that those in the room that know you, you would just move in them to continue to grow them closer to you. For those that, that are maybe listening online or maybe even here in the room that, that don't know you. Father, I pray that you would move in their lives, you would convict them, you would draw them to you. That today would be the day they hear the call of salvation 
respond. Father, I ask that as a congregation, you would just continue to grow us to be kingdom growers for your sake. Encourage us. Send us out here with purpose to proclaim the gospel to those who need to hear it. It's in Jesus' name I pray.